Hello, hello, and welcome to my tennis journey. Uh, we've got a really great guest lined up for you today. Um, but quickly, just before we get to to Mr. John Woodward, um, just wanted to say a massive thanks, a big thanks for everyone who's been listening in, who's been feeding back, uh, who's been giving. Uh, the show a, a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you get a chance, it'd be amazing if you could. Uh, but yeah, honestly, all the feedback, all the comments, massively appreciated. So thank you very, very much indeed. Um, now to today's guest, John Woodward. He's John's got over 25 years experience of coaching, coach development, coach education. He's really passionate about in helping coaches achieve their potential. And he's been doing a lot of work in developing creativity and innovative thinking in coaching, which is a, a subject really close to my heart. He's worked for clubs, governing bodies, including UK Coaching, the FA, the LTA, Derby County, and he's now a lecturer in sport coaching at the University of Derby. So today, for one day only, my tennis journey becomes my coaching journey. Welcome to the show, John Woodward. Uh, to start with, how did you get into coaching originally? I mean, it is an interesting one since we've kind of started to talk about this. I mean, I think I'm actually nearer 30 years of kind of coaching experience now, which dates me somewhat, I think, possibly, or makes me feel very old. Um, you do not look that old. That's impossible. For those who are listening on the podcast, it's fine. The vodcast, <laughs> Mr. Wood was looking good. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of probably fell into it in kind of school college time that um the kind of coaching opportunities came about um so i kind of started, started doing it i was already kind of sport focused i think the intention was always to go to university to do some kind of sport-based kind of program or degree um so i kind of fell into it and i fell into kind of coaching a girls football team many moons ago that then um, developed into supporting my own team coaching kind of thing. No, you can't, I can't leave that one. So hang on a minute. I mean, firstly, a girls football, what sort of, I mean, girls football, so important. And, you know, I look at our daughter, Phoebe, and she was, she's a good little footballer. Mm -hmm. But when she, you know, she's only 13 now, but when she was starting out six, seven, so this is only six or seven years ago, mm -hmm there weren't really girls football teams in the same way. You know, she was put in with the boys and some people flourish in that and some people don't. And um, so what sort of, how, how has this girls football team come about? When was this? Oh, well, we are going back sadly 30 years kind of thing. So it was back in my kind of um, school days. I mean, I probably the caveat that, I mean, I, I went to secondary school in Singapore. Um, so it was wow. a very different environment. And as part of the programme there, you were encouraged to do voluntary hours within the local community or whatever um and I had to choose something that would have kind of floated my, my boat and engaged me kind of thing and the notion of a girls football team with the with with, with the girls at, at school of a younger age group kind of came about I went well I, I'll go and do it so kind of went in very fresh-faced with no qualifications no experience of actually coaching but the but it got you into the thing of well I was expecting the girls to do this and they weren't capable of doing that kind of thing so I had to kind of adapt it straight away so it was a, a kind of initial kind of <laughs> get into it get it, get it sorted kind of thing but it kind of whetted my appetite greatly to, to kind of develop from from there I think it helped that I was doing GCSE sports studies and, and, and then a level PE which always helped and it just naturally became what I wanted to do it may be part down to the fact that maybe I realized I wasn't going to make it as a as a player my, myself so the next best thing or the thing that I enjoyed the most was actually 
developing players, you know, it's, and kind of dropping into it that way. I think it's uh, it's really encouraging for you know any youngsters listening that sport coaching can be a career. I know um, when I went to my my local school and. Uh, when we were talking about work experience and, you know, football and tennis were my life, cricket, any sport were my life. It's what I love. And uh, so I went into the school careers office and they said, oh, what do you want to be? I said, well, I'd love to be, I'd love to work in sport. You know, I'd love to be a coach. And they said, all right, let's see what we can do work experience wise because the school sorted it out. Mm. So I got it back and it was right. You, you can report to your local sports center. So I was like, amazing. This is great. Thank you so much. And uh, so I turned up on the day and they were like, right, you just go down the stairs and you'll, you'll see a door and it says boiler room and you knock on that door and that's where you are. And I, I was like, all oh, right. I was like, okay. So I went down and I was, my work experience was looking after the heating in the local leisure center. And that was as close as I got. And, you know, I, I, so I didn't go after this, this where I've ended up, which is sport coaching because I didn't realise the opportunities that were there. And I think now that's changed. Is that the impression you get? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think I was kind of fortunate that the intention was always to go to university, but both mum and dad said, go to university, do something that you want to do. You know, I could have gone to do English Lit or Physics or whatever, and not decrying either of those, those subjects. It wouldn't have engaged me kind of thing. And I think when I did my undergraduate degree, it was a sports science degree. You know, and now you look at the kind of programs we offer at the University of Derby and a lot of other universities across the country. Every individual module I covered, you can now do a three-year degree programming. The oh, fact right. that so I did three modules of, of sports coaching, you can now do a three-year degree program in sports coaching, or you yeah. can do physiotherapy, or you can do um, physiology, or whatever. So, so now the opportunity is there. I think the kind of challenge is, is that coaching has to be recognised as a kind of recognised profession more often the kind of issue you'll always have is that 95 percent of coaches in the uk are voluntary yeah um and it's only a kind of small amount who actually earn a good living from it kind of thing however and kind of alluding to the kind of previous podcast you did with the the wonder and legend that is kind of keith reynolds it's it's not just a career it actually gives you those life skills and 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 human-based skills that will develop you forever kind of thing um i mean i think Coaching is parenting, it's being a friend, it's being a mentor, it's it's being whatever you need to do kind of thing. So it's those kind of same, same levels. So the opportunity to do more coaching is now, but I think the way sports science as an industry is kind of developed is kind of huge. Mm. Um, and, and it covers all these, these different areas. It's fascinating though, isn't it? Because we're going to get all these graduates coming out with incredible skills and yet at the moment, the way it is, a large percentage of them are only going to be able to use that in a voluntary capacity. And, and that's, in my mind, that's wrong. You know, I, since I've become um, a full-time tennis coach, I know how hard work it is to coach. You know, I love it. I love it. But it's hard work. And, you know, the, for the young people who are coming out with these qualifications and who are up in the level of our sport in coaching across this country, they deserve to be paid for this they deserve for it to be a career because sport can change everything for young people absolutely and, and I think getting the right person in the right role much the same as kind of teaching is you get the right teacher you remember the, that, that kind of teacher forever we were having a conversation before we did this about coaches that we know kind of thing and it is you remember them 20 25 years on and those are the ones that kind of influence you moving forward and I think it's the kind of phrase I often use is that 
if, if you can find a coachable child, then that child will then become an employable adult. On the other side, an uncoachable child has has difficulties later in life, you know, and it's finding the right person to give you that kind of start of your journey is absolutely huge kind of thing. And yeah, we are, we're producing good quality young coaches, but again, sometimes it's almost that kind of, you need the experience, you know, and, it, and it's, it's the knowledge versus the experience challenge that you'll always have. What a wonderful way of putting it. I think you've just sorted the soundbite for this interview that will be. <laughs> so you've got to take me past that again. So a coachable child becomes a very employable adult. An uncoachable yes. child may have more issues. Is that how, how would yeah. you just take me through that again? Because I think it's a wonderful way of putting it. I mean, I think I mean a, a coachable child comes comes to the session and they listen. They want to work hard. They're self motivated. Um, they're resilient, you know, they, they want to improve. That's everything you want from any person, you know, all those things that, that make, make, make people better, you know, and it's the fact that the kind of, the kind of challenges, the successes, the hardships of sport are mirrored later in, in life. You know, life isn't, isn't easy. At some point you might go to a job interview and you might not get the job or you have to deal with that and move on. That's no difference to, Losing on a Saturday afternoon in a game of football or losing a first round tennis match, you have to come back, you know, yeah. and all those kind of skills and attributes would do it. I mean, I remember many moons ago, I, I met with Tony Pickering, who was the original um, lead of the FA School of Excellence at um, Lillishall across in, in Shropshire. Yeah, yeah. And his big phrase for me was about the FA School of Excellence, that you're not just coaching players, you're coaching people, you know, and yet you're making people better along yeah. the way if you make players out of that then it's a huge bonus and I think it's it's credit to a lot of I mean obviously I'm very football centric and I read a lot about talent development and, and, and talent identification and a lot of the programs are set up that whilst the players may not succeed at the club they're currently at they may succeed somewhere else and it's ultimately laying those kind of foundations to where you want to go yes there's probably an exception to every rule that, that some players that may not be overly coachable but could be a superstar athlete but ultimately, yeah. we're in the business of developing people and, and, and developing people. I mean, it's almost making the children of today kind of the players and the adults of, of, of tomorrow by giving them good morals, good standards uh, and, and good social skills more than anything. Right. It's, um, it's fascinating. that It's really got me thinking because, you know, if I think back, you know, I'm a full time tennis coach now. But, you know, I worked in in the corporate world. I worked with big brands. I worked a lot in football and. Um, I remember one job in particular was when I was going to be, I applied to be the Carling Premiership press officer. So to do the sponsorship um, for Carling and, and I was so excited to get an interview. And, and yet, you know, I think about it academically, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the top five, 10%, but when it came to that interview, I prepared like I was preparing for my biggest match. Mm. You know, I worked hard to find out who was interviewing me, what they might ask me. I was, I was I was so prepared with ideas and I turned up and I was so excited and I you know delivered on that day and ended up getting that job and I never thought about it actually that the tennis the tennis side and preparing for a big match it was similar you know and mm. and so yeah I think it's a lovely lovely point I think you know just a fascinating point and and makes you feel better about coaching eh? it makes me feel better about coaching absolutely and that's what it should be we, we should feel better about coaching because we are making a difference i think the challenge you might have sometimes is that the people you're coaching may not know you're making a difference till how many years down the line you know but you are setting those yeah. kind of 
foundations in, in, in place to do something. I think my kind of proudest thing sometimes, it's not so much the players who've actually made it as, a, as an athlete or as a player, but those who become coaches. You know, and then you almost see some of your the kind of behaviours that that I instilled on them. They're now developing and probably making a better job of it than I am. But but they're they're a, a better part of their journey, but earlier than than, than me. As I say, that there was a, a lad I, I, I coached with at Burton, and, and he's now at, at, at the Derby Academy. You know, he's he's asking the same questions I am now at forty six, but he's 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 not even thirty. So where's he going to be at thirty? And where's he going to be at 40 kind of thing? So yeah. it's a great thing to kind of look at. You're actually developing people all along the way. Just before we leave this little train of thought, because it's a really interesting one. It's just something else that sprung to mind, you know, and this is a, a coaching special, so we'll leave tennis for a minute. I look at football and I see incredible coaches operating at a grassroots level, doing an incredible job, both on the pitch in terms of their coaching and, and developing just the, the people, just like we've talked about, but also doing an awful lot of administration away from um, away from the uh, away from the training pitch, and they're doing this on a voluntary basis. Is that have you come across a movement at all to get you know why why wouldn't would a parent be prepared to pay a couple of pounds extra a week a session? to give that coach the opportunity to be paid for what they're doing. Is this something that you've come across? Is this something that we should be campaigning for? I think so. I mean, it's, it's a big, big debate. And we picked this up with our kind of third years at kind of university around the kind of philosophy of coaching, the ideal of coaching, the professionalization of kind of coaching, you know, and it's, I always go back to the fact that when when you used to go, go to weddings, when we were in kind of wedding season, when our generation were getting wedding, and you used to go around a table of people you don't know, and like, oh, what do you do? I remember I sat somewhere once and somebody said, oh, what do you do? So oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a coach at Derby. Oh, you're just a coach. And I got, got quite offended by it. I'm like, well, I'm not just a coach. You know, I'm, yeah. I, was, I was paid for what I do, but I'm not just a coach. You know, and it's this, is it coaching? Is it teaching or whatever kind of thing? Teachers get paid for what they do. They work significantly more hours. Obviously, as you know, I'm married to a teacher. So it's always an interesting kind of debate. But yeah, I mean, I think you, you should be recognised and rewarded for, for the job you do, you know, yeah. and it is a kind of culture shift, um, a kind of change in mindset that a coach possibly has as, as big an influence as other people in a child's life or, or, or a performer's life than anybody, anybody else kind of thing. So I think it is, but it's just recognising actually what they, they do. I think it might almost be environment specific, you know, and, and, and the reason why often parents are sending their, their children to sport, you know, on the fact that if it's just for them to go to play sport, then why, why should we pay more? You know, if it's leading somewhere, then it almost becomes, yeah, that kind of, is it, is it talent? Is it recreational? Um, but ultimately, the aim of, of grassroots or recreation, it underpins the whole kind of performance pyramid yeah you know, and I, yeah and that that voluntary role is of course always going to be there but when you've got you know i see our son's football coach uh you know our, our youngest and the difference that coach is making i'd be mm. very happy to put a few extra quid in than when you know somebody who a volunteer can't do quite as much because you know, so for those that are going over and above, maybe that's the sort of change we need. Uh, yeah, we will see. We will see. It is that kind of challenge that the, the, the biggest workforce in the UK is the voluntary workforce. And, and it's not just a sport. You know, it, yeah. it's, it, it's the 
hundreds and thousands of hours that other people do around the kind of um, scout and guides and all of that. It's all normally voluntary hours to kind of support something. And, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, would, would actually payment sometimes lessen the motivation of people to do it? We all do it now because we love, love to do it. I'm in a position that I, I work in sport and, and I'm pleased to do that, but I still do a lot of voluntary stuff because I enjoy it. Yeah, kind of thing. So it, it's, yeah, it's 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 value. It's perception. It's not not just being a coach. It's being a lot more. Do you know the thing? The thing I think because I coach our our Stanley's football team under elevens, mm. and um, and I love it. I absolutely love it, and I do it on a purely you know a voluntary basis. But I know what I can do. You know, I can motivate the children. I can hopefully, you know, I do my best. I can. Um, I can get them to work as a team and have a real team ethos. The interesting thing is, could I be a better coach if it was a role which was paid for? Because we had someone come in um, and do a session a few weeks ago when we were able to do so. And his technical coaching was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I looked at it and I was like, you know, that's where in football I could improve. I, you know, if this was my job, I could improve. And, you you know, as we say, we've got these graduates coming out with these amazing, amazing skills. They have, and they deserve to be paid for it, I think. So, man, maybe yeah. in time, man, maybe in time. I mean, but, but that's the same with everything. Time underpins everything. And, and that's always been the kind of challenge of, of governing body-based qualifications on the fact that we want you to be qualified in whatever sport you do. But normally we run yeah. the programmes over a weekend when you should be coaching or in the evenings yeah. when you should be coaching, you know, and it's that interesting dichotomy over back and forth over what comes, comes first. Um, it's better than, than what, what it was when I said, I've been in the system. Yeah. Kind of nearly 30 years and it's, and it's better and coaches are getting valued and rewarded more, but it can always get, get yeah. better. Without a shadow of a doubt. Come on. I'm with you. So in, in your mind, you know, what, what do you look, what makes a really good sports sports coach? Um, I think ultimately you have to be motivated, you know, and you have to want to get out and kind of do stuff. I think it helps if you can show a huge degree of em empathy, if you've been there, done it. And I think the kind of thing we discuss most now, people will often coach in a different way to, to the way they've been coached. Um, so it's almost making that kind of thing. I think the big thing is to make sure people listen and you as a coach listen as well. You know, there's, there's nothing worse than a, than a coach keep, keeps doing the kind of same thing over and over again. Um, but you need to listen to, to, to what people want and why people are there. Um, I think that, that is a challenge of any kind of coach. So it's certainly motivation, being very kind of understanding of why people are there. Um, and I think similar to, to what, what, what you'd look for in a, in a player, you have to be willing to learn and kind of de develop. And it is through reading, listening, watching, going on kind of programs where I'm just willing to get better and don't keep doing the same things again and again, because at some point something has to change. Um, but I think it's all of those, those things. I think we described it once as almost a kind of a, a graphic e e equaliser on like the old stereos where you'd have to balance things up. Sometimes things have to be of a greater level of greater importance for certain players than it would for others or based on the environment. I mean, coaching is very much environment specific. I mean, coaching is coaching. I mean, coaching tennis, coaching football, coaching rugby, the principles are the same. The environment changes, but then the technical output is very different. Yeah. But essentially, it's, 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 it's the same process.
it's a it's what you know what are those students there for is a really fascinating point you know if i think about something andrew jarrett said um in one of our podcasts be better tomorrow than you are today and i think that that's something that that can unify as an objective um it's just that some people are going to be a bit bit more better than others because people are there for different reasons some are there because you know they love sport and they really want to achieve i think some of that you know it's time away from the playstation and the objective for the parent is let them just enjoy this you know this is and of course enjoyment is should be an objective in in for every pupil but for some of them it's like just get them away from being inside on on a on a PlayStation in a virtual world, get them back in, into the fresh air. And, and I see that. And then maybe that's on the graphic equalizer where you dial up enjoyment, mm. you know, and you're not going to go potentially into the same level of technique because it's about enjoying it. Mm. But in some cases, but they, they might learn te technique by just enjoying it and being engaged. I mean, it's the old theory of the 10,000 10, hours, you know, to become an expert or proficient in something. It, it can be a loose theory. I say it has to be 10,000 hours of kind of relevant and purposeful practice. If you, if you do 10,000 hours of doing it wrong, it's still, still going to be wrong kind of thing. But it, it's how you develop those kind of people. And you're right. A lot of it is, is just to get them away from the kind of PlayStation. And I think we've already mentioned about kind of being creative. But how do you bring that PlayStation, Fortnite, whatever, into the idea of a coaching session? You so know, and all of a sudden, the kind of, the, the kind of two marries together quite nicely to engage people and that's what it is it's finding the right engagement tool to make somebody better yeah come on um really pleased you brought matthew zayed and you know bounce and his ten thousand mm -hmm. hours and the purposeful practice into this i think matthew zayed for me was a real inspiration actually of 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 leaving the corporate world behind to get involved in coaching you know a man who um, who quoted his coach uh, uh, when he was young, was a uh, school teacher, table tennis coach. Any child who showed an interest in sport um, in that area, the guy would just sell table tennis to them in, in a real passionate way. And they would uh, set up, I think it was in a Methodist church hall, table tennis tables. The parents would be given a key so that the kids could just go and play. Uh, the coach would tell them that this is the time that they were available. And, you know, the, the culture that, resulted in that the culture of um yes national champion in men's and women's and under 18s champions mm -hmm. but also the hundreds and hundreds of players who found sport and found the enjoyment that could come from sport and perhaps when they look back just like you said earlier they they found that the, the the life lessons that you can get through sport and that that book for me was a real kind of I am going to go into coaching. This is what I want to achieve. I want mm -hmm. to get a hotbed of, of tennis, of people enjoying tennis in my local area. Just It's a, it's a great read, isn't it, for anyone in, interested in, in our area? Absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I tend to read, read a lot, you know, and, and I used to be very much kind of sports-specific books. And, yeah, you look at your kind of, as you said, your, your kind of Matthew Saeed. Um, Malcolm Gladwell writes some great books around kind of outliers or the kind of tipping point of different things. A few books, and I'm, I'm looking that way because that's, that's where my kind of bookshelf is. I mean, I've, I've read the Michael Caine book, you know, and, and that's a great thing because Michael Caine, as an actor, professes the same things as we would as a athlete or a performer. You practice, you perform, and you critique. Well, that's we practice or we train, we perform or we play, and then we reflect and review. It's the same principle, you know, and he right. says that his, his stage is, 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 the, is, is the playing field. 
You know, his dressing room is where you do the kind of critique and the reflection, but you, know, you rehearse as you would in training and things. And it's things like that, the kind of parallels are absolutely huge kind of thing. I so, love this, this related worlds, we call it, when, when, mm. when I used to work more marketing side, what can you learn from related worlds? And I can't let you go without uh, talking. I was, I was doing some reading of some of your excellent blogs on, on I think it was UK coaching, wasn't it? And yeah. um, I love the fact that you say you can learn from other things and you quote, Kung Fu Panda, uh, what a film, what a series of films now. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, but how do you, what, what have you found that you can learn from those sorts of, uh, you know, incredible I, mean, I, I, I think, I think Kung, Kung Fu Panda is the kind of ultimate one where you look at Poe, who was a kind of, of um, enthusiastic novice almost, <laughs> and then he was thrown in, into a situation by accident or circumstance or whatever kind of thing. And if when you go through the film and you kind of strip out some of the kind of comedy, you know, I mean, Master Shifu then kind of finds the idea of what's his driving mo motivation? Well, it's food. Well, that, that's the kind of hook. But then the kind of driving motivation actually becomes the thing that kind of supports him. It's a great way of, of coaching t techniques. You know, it's kind of command style, it's autocratic, but then it goes into democratic kind of styles. And it literally mirrors the coaching process. And at the end, the outcome is that the, the Poe becomes the kind of hero and, and, and whatever kind of thing. So it, it's related to that, but it's almost using that as a tool to, to say to our players, saying, well, you've watched that, that film, you know, this is what we're doing, you know? So what's your motivation? I remember, I think it, it, when I was a governor at one of our lo local schools, what about that one of the boys really struggled with maths? And they're trying to find what, what, what made him tick. And he likes bird watching. So they actually focus the maths through an idea of kind of bird watching. All of a sudden, it's kind of maths development improved dramatically. So it's it's finding that. And I think anything kind of Disney, Pixar, anything like that, you'll find similar stories. I think again, the Lego movie, same kind of thing where you find that kind of idea of kind of creativity, developing things. We watched with the girls over the past few days soul on disney, yeah. disney plus great mentoring film you know it literally does every kind of mentoring thing over it's self-sacrifice it's putting others first it's developing talent and recognizing talent in others that's essentially what what we do as kind of kind of coaches and sometimes it's nice to see it in kind of films that, that what we talk about is actually, actually their kind of thing but ultimately the idea of developing players and obviously in, in my later stage now where I'm developing coaches it, it's finding that those those key hooks and key inspirations that say to people this is what we're doing we're making people better and it's mirrored here kind of thing I mean normally any kind of di di Disney film will have a high into a low into a high yeah. that can be the coaching journey you know it's really 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 good no I'm really 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 struggling I found the solution and it gets better that is the coaching process. That is the coaching journey. Ah, it's so true. I love it. I love it. I think I should, I'll, uh, if I end up in interviewing uh, anyone from the LTA, I think I'll be saying, you know, I think for the next coaches conference, the first part of the day should be Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Absolutely. The second part of the day, Kung Fu Panda 2. Yeah. And then in the evening, for those who are really keen, <laughs> the third episode. That's what we'll go with. Come on. Absolutely. I mean, Go on, John. I mean, the great thing about the kind of the, that is series, I mean, you can see the same themes. I mean, it's the last one where obviously Pogo goes back to the Panda village, you know, and then when when they're being attacked, he kind of looks at everybody's ideal skills to make them kind of better. And it could be a dancing skill, but it turns into this. And, and it's the, the young pans were, were, were kicking the kind of food or balls, whatever kind of thing, but it develops into a skill. 
that's what sport is. It's, it's highlighting what you're good at and making it better. I, I, I love those films and maybe subconsciously I've picked up on this stuff, but I will watch them again. I, I'll let Becky know that it's for my coach development <laughs> skills, not just for enjoyment. It's all about you, CP. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I, I think that's a great uh, example of, of innovation and uh, in coaching and looking at different ways of, of improving yourself. What other things, you know, I know it's an area you're particularly passionate about is is coaching and innovation what sort of areas have you worked in what sort of thoughts have you come out of that research with yeah i mean i, mean, I think that the big thing is, is finding that kind of hook to do something different i mean i'm a big believer that, and as i said before that i coach very differently to, to the way I, I was coached you know i almost coach the way i want to be coached that's not always right for everyone kind of thing but it's it's doing something different but relating different different life skills in, into sport I've kind of I won't take all the credit because I've done a lot of work with a guy called Richard Cheatham who's um, the kind of coach and leader at the University of Win Winchester very much my kind of mentor and lead when it comes down to thinking differently you know it's how you engage people and there's another guy called Russ Earnshaw former of the RFU he now runs a, a company called the Magic Academy creating coaching wizards you know and we, we talk about a lot of those things over how can you use almost everyday things to, to engage a kind of coach? I mean, obviously, I've had the pleasure of watching you coach Holly, my own daughter kind of thing, and, and your kind of innovative ways of bringing in different bits of equipment, engaging different games. That's essentially what it is. But ultimately, whatever we do from a creative perspective is underpinned by a coaching science or technical thing but it's grabbing them into a hook it's not just oh i'm going to play tennis it's oh we had that really great game of trying to hit the cones off or the game where all, all the other piece of equipment you've got so it's just finding that kind of different hook in ultimately coaching and development is 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 is, is relatedness is is as we've spoke about before and it's if you can find the hook for somebody to buy into what you're doing they yeah. will become better and ultimately it might be we did the kung fu panda game but ultimately that may have been to improve their their forehand or it was yeah. to improve their kind of running with the ball or whatever. So it's just doing that something different and, and engaging people. Um, I, I'm sorry, if you I'm, keep doing the same things again and again, you, 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 you'll always have the same result. You have to do something different. I mean, a great example when you talk about Andy and Jamie Murray, you know, playing with kind of balloons. Yeah. We've all played with, with balloons as kids, you know, and, and it's a great kind of step back to, using balloons again and i use that as as, as as a coaching tool to develop communication you know develop teamwork so ultimately can you keep a balloon up you know can you keep two balloons up can you keep three balloons up but if you have three different colored balloons you can be working with a partner who can give instructions out to you about which balloon you need to keep up in the air and it's a real simple game but we've all used balloons we all talk and we all have have a laugh with it but ultimately it's, it's underpinned by a scientific approach Love balloon tennis. And if you think about, you know, the, the toughest shot in, in, in tennis is the serve. Yeah, mm. you put a balloon above a child's head. Yeah. You can get, you know, you can do so much with a, a balloon. Love balloon tennis. I think it's, it's great to hear the examples. My favourite one I've got, I've got a couple of sisters and I love, love coaching these sisters. They're great fun. Um, and they have very, very different tastes in music. And uh, mm. so we set some targets out and we were like, if, if you hit a target, if you hit your target, you DJ. And, and we had the speaker on and one of them loved One Direction and one mm. of them really didn't. 
So every time they hit the one direction, we'd switch to one direction on the stereo. I have never seen the sisters so determined to take yeah. out those targets. So it, it does, you know, it's fun, but it's also their accuracy on hitting. It's never been better. Mm. And it's it and it developing motivational techniques or almost like a secondary goal, but the secondary goal actually contributes to the primary goal of getting a better tech technique yeah but again it's one of them things that if you can develop the kind of unconscious mind you know then everything becomes easier the more you think about stuff you know the, the harder it, it becomes i remember seeing a kind of i went to do a talk with jack charlton um a few few years ago when he was manager of the island team yeah. you know and he, he was kind of kind of criticized for being very much direct long ball hit the front man kind of thing but he had tony cascarino literally running the length or, or the width of these of the center circle winning ahead and back, but it became habit. So you don't have to think about it kind yeah. of thing. And that's the ultimate thing that any great football shot or anything you've done, you don't think about it. It becomes instinct, yeah. you know? So you're almost kind of, kind of creating that diversion of, of a secondary goal, but it results in the primary goal becoming significantly better. Doing, not thinking, come on. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, we're local to Derby and, um, the Derby, the University of Derby has had a great impact, I think, on our city um, in many ways. But well, what's your role now at the University of Derby? I mean, obviously, primarily it's a lecturing kind of sport coaching. So I, I, I deliver a variety of sport coaching modules across the, the, the length and breadth of our kind of programmes. Um, that's the kind of my main, main role. The other part of what we do is, is we run something called the Human Performance Unit, uh, which is aimed at almost going out to support local and regional organizations and partners to kind of do do something better um and how we can contribute to it i mean part of it is that we want our, our students out there you know when coaching is we've already alluded to isn't you don't, don't just sit in a classroom with me talking about coaching it's out there it's vocational it's doing you know um so the, the role we look at and it's something that will be expanding certainly over the next six months it would have been sooner but obviously we've been in the middle of a of a pandemic, which has kind of halted a lot of things. But the idea is that how we can support local clubs, organisations, partners with kind of academic science, academic technology to improve you guys in what you're kind of doing. So we're looking to run workshops um, and sending in students to, to, to support everything. We've been doing some great work with the Academy at Burton Albion around kind of physical data testing. We're in, it's not fitness testing, it's physical data testing, and it's almost analysing the capability of people to move and move effectively. Essentially, if you can move better, then you'll run better and you'll hit the ball better and you'll swing the club better or, or whatever you do kind of thing. So that's one of the kind of big things, things we're doing. It's, it's just a great thing that I'm being paid to talk sport and talk coaching and make things better. Uh, and I think the kind of role that we've got at the university, we are a very forward-facing community-facing university we yeah. want to do more it's as simple as that kind of thing um it's just kind of great i mean i said the challenge of the pandemic has, has been a struggle um but we're, st we're still doing stuff and hopefully in the next six months to a year when things do calm down we can really start to come out and support yeah. people in the local area brilliant so a couple of uh, I mean, it's been brilliant chatting. Could do this all day, um, but I've got, to go watch, <laughs> I've got to go watch Kung Fu Panda in a minute. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, so, a couple of questions, a bit more fun ones to finish. Really, um, if you were put in charge of the world for a day, 
but you can only make uh, changes to sport coaching. What is the main, what is the one thing you would change in the world about sports coaching? Um, I would say to, to make it valued and, and recognised more, you know, and I think as soon as you attach the word professional, professionalisation, the thing, it, it sometimes can kind of change it. It's just recognising the value and impact of what we do as coaches and coach ed educators. I think I probably do less coaching now, but more coach education or coach learning or coach development. Um, but I am dipping my toe back in, in the coaching. Obviously, as a football coach by trade, my, neither of my girls play football. So they're engaged in other sports kind of thing. So I'm almost re-engaging in other sports to become better but it's almost yeah the the one thing i would change is to value the role we as coaches play and have it recognized as a yeah hey, recognized business or whatever i've got to say if i sat down next to you at the wedding and you went i'm a coach at derby county i'd be like wow i've struck oh. big here what an exciting time we're gonna have let's get some beers in and go come on you know and becky would be like oh well i've lost him for the night yeah I mean, it's an interesting one. I mean, I remember one of the guys that, that spoke to me once about it in a wedding, and we, we sat there for two hours talking about stuff. He goes, oh, I wish I was doing your job. I'm like, well, what did you do? He goes, well, I, I'm an investment banker. I'm like, fair enough, but I'm thinking, but you'd like to do my job. I'd quite like to be paid what you're being paid. And it is that, that I, I will always say that we, we do the best job in, in the world, either if we get get paid for it in a kind of monetary sense or we get paid for it with a lot of love and kind of feedback. Yeah. So totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. To be valued and recognised is the ultimate thing for me. Yeah. We need to recognise what, what we do more. And it's not just about the, the kind of Pep Guardiolas and the Eddie Jones of this world. It's it's everybody who contributes to, to the whole sporting process. I mean, it, it's a great thing that UK coaching as part of their coaching awards do offer um, an award called the Coaching Chain. And it's recognising those people who've helped an elite athlete achieve kind of thing. And remember one year I was there and like, like, this, Philip Sadoe was there, who was the kind of triple jumper. You know, and literally he had every coach with him that started. And, and things like that need to be more recognised and more read kind of thing. And it's just to show the value of what we do. And we're not just coaches. We are coaches, you know, and we're contributing to the wider society, let alone the kind of wide, wider sport thing. Brilliant. Come on. And finally, finally, so if you could go, and we ask this to everybody, if you could go for a drink with anybody, alive or dead, who would it be and why? I think at the minute, go for a drink with anybody would be really good because we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an interesting one. I mean, I was expecting this question, having listened to your other kind of podcasts and, you know, you listen to kind of Keith say Abraham Lincoln about his thing and I went off to read about it kind of thing. It's a real tough one. I think I think Stephen Fry would always be somebody that I'd be really intrigued to kind of meet because I, I think he's very intelligent, very switched on um, and just, just kind of ha has the whole kind of idea. I'm just about to read Matthew McConaughey's book that I've kind of got forgot for Christmas. Again, listen to a, to a podcast with him. Um, but I think to, to have a drink with anybody who I can learn from and develop and take a golden nugget and and that, that nugget might be a throwaway phrase it might be 10 seconds it, it's doing so I guess it's a bit, a, bit, a bit of a cop-out but anybody who I can actually learn from and make and make me a better person a better coach is, yeah. is probably what I would want to do but I think there's probably too many to actually say there's this one person I would love to I think anybody who makes you better 
is the way forward. Brilliant. I tell you what, it's got me thinking. It just your answer's got me thinking, and you know, I, uh, there's all sorts of people I think of with this one. But I would. St- I know it's you know a derby. It's a not a good thing. But Brian Clough, I'd love to sit down with him and, mm-hmm. and hear a few of his stories and his motivation. You know, between because uh, thinking outside the box and how he used to get his players playing, he he was out there innovation wise, wasn't he? He was doing things differently, and it worked. Yeah. Yeah, but, but nobody called it innovation. They called it being eccentric, you know, yeah. and, and essentially that, that's kind of what it is. I mean, obviously, I mean, yeah, be, being a Derby fan, I mean, I, I was I was brought up on the legend of, of Clough at Derby kind of thing, and it is one of them. It's it's that interesting thing, and it's maybe another another podcast, but was he a manager or was he a coach? Or And, and, and it's this kind of, kind of phraseology thing that football manager, football coach, I think it's interesting now within the world of football that, Different people have different different titles. You know, you can be a head coach or you're the manager. What does it mean? Um, I've I've read a lot, lot up on Clive Woodward when he was part of the RFU and the England team. No relation, sadly, because I'd love to spend time with him. Um, <laughs> but that process of that he was he was the lead coach, the head coach, but he got a lot of people with him who could fulfil specific roles. I mean, obviously, as kind of grassroots coaches, we can't always do that. But it's yeah, it's finding that kind of right person at the right time to to do something different, you know, and, and it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's what people want, want to term. Is, is, is it, is it innovation? Is it eccentricity? Yeah. Is it just being a good coach? Who knows? Yeah. Brilliant. Hey, well, my friend, thank you so much for your time. I hope we'll get to have a drink cool sometime stuff. soon. Come on the vaccine. Yes, no, <laughs> I, I, absolutely. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll see what we can sort out. Yeah, brilliant. But mate, thank you so much for your time. It's it's been brilliant to explore coaching with you. I hope we'll get a chance to speak again. And uh, yeah, really appreciate it. So thank you very much, John. No pleasure. Always good. Good to speak to you, Rob. Take care.